Good morning. Today is the 13th day of Nisan, the yard side of Samat Sadek. We continue, we left off page 38a. We're up to case number 5, the seventh uh, line from the top. Dr. Helikigimar, Safik Viyav, the uh, uncertain child, the child who is not certain who the father is, whether it's the, f- the, the, deceased, the first brother who died or it's the second brother. And the father was still alive. The father of the brothers was still alive when they, uh, when they died, when the two brothers died. These children predeceased them. Then he dies. And who are the inheritors? His grandchildren. His sons are dead. It's their children, their sons. So now we come to a conflict. The uncertain one claims, I am the son, the only son of the first brother who died. Therefore, I get 50%. I should get 50% of everything. I get 50% of the grandfather's estate, of our grandfather's estate. Versus the cousins, it could be 10 brothers. You get 50, I get 50. You divide it amongst yourself 50. I guess because I represent one brother. How do the grandchildren inherit? Through their, through their parents, through their fathers, their children. They're two sons. One son gets 50%, which is divided amongst his children. I am his only child. And the other son gets the other 50, divided amongst all his children. It could be a dozen children. They only get his, his, his share. That's his claim. But you carry a dead body, right? Yavam, uh, I'm sorry. Yavam, I'm sorry. Not the grandchildren. The, the the other brother is still alive. The other brother is still alive. But now that the father dies, so each son gets fifty percent. The son that died, so his son steps in his shoes, takes over, and he should get the fifty percent that would go to him. And the other brother, the uncle, he says, you're my uncle, you get 50%, and I get 50%. But the, the brother, the surviving brother says, no, the surviving son says, you are my son. You get nothing, you get zero, zero, nada, garnish. Klum. Garnish with garnish. He says, I get everything, I am the only heir to my father. I get 100%. So what do you do? The Yavam, the son, is a certainty. He certainly inherits. He's a son. He's definitely a son. There's no doubt. The uncertain one is a doubt. We have no idea. Maybe he's the son of the first, of the brother that died. Maybe he's the son of the surviving brother. So therefore, in that case, when Suffolk makes him the Vada, he gets garnished with garnish. He gets nothing with nothing, plus nothing. And he can add on nothing because he's, he is insert, uncertain versus the, the, the surviving uh, brother, the only surviving son, is a certain. Case number six. In this case, both brothers died. And they, were, they predeceased their father. The grandfather was still alive. Then the grandfather died. And now they have to divide, the, all the grandsons have to divide the, the estate. So Suffolk, the uncertain one says, oh, Gabra, Mishnah, I am the son of the first brother that died, the first son that died. I get 50%, I'm the only heir to him, so I get 
Versus, and, and you're my cousins. You get the other 50%. Your father gets the other 50%. You divide amongst yourself the other 50%. But the sons of the Yavam say, of the surviving brother, say, you're our brother. We're going to share equally. We're going to divide equically. You're just like us. That's your uncle. Our uncle. Your uncle had no children. So when the when the father dies, who gets everything? There's only one surviving son. There's no other survivors from the other side. He gets everything, but and we are all the children, we're all brothers. So you're going to get divide amongst all of us. So what do we do? So the halacha is palga the kamei the lushakli, half of the estate that the uncertain one concedes. The uncertain one concedes that fifty percent doesn't belong to belongs to the to the other brother, belongs to the to his cousin. He claims that as cousin. Fine, so that's taken out of the equation. That you give to them. The third of the state that they concede to him in their claim. He takes. So let's say we're assuming there's two bro- two sons, certain sons that we know for sure belong to the surviving brother, and him. So they admit to him, they claim a third. A third belongs to you. You're one of us. We're going to divide the whole estate. So you get a third of the whole estate, of, of Zaydi's estate, the grandfather's estate. You get a third. So we give him a third. We give, a, give the other two brothers half. Because even he claims that half belongs to them. Half of the entire estate belongs exclusively to them. Okay. So what are we left with? Pashlu Danke. Remains is a six. Danke is a six. Danke. Like a sixth. That's why a dinner, a ma, is called a danke. Because it's the sixth of a dinner. A dinner is six ma. Um, right. So, dank is a sixth. A sixth of the estate is still in dispute. Right? If you take a third and a half, so let's say you divide it into six, six parts. So, he gets three, three six. Three six you give to the two brothers. Okay? Two thirds, I mean, two six. Which is a third, they agree, belongs to him. You give to the, to the uncertain one. All that's left is a sixth. So then you divide three way amongst all of them. Then you divide it. Divide it how? 50-50. 50, 50% of that six goes to the uncertain one, and the other 50 goes to the other two, to the two brothers. Yeah. Okay, now we come to case number seven and eight. 50%. Number seven and eight. You should have case of the Yavam The grandfather and the Yavam, the uncertain one died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Certain one dies. And who are the surviving relatives? The brothers, or they could be cousins, they could be brothers, or the grandfather. They're both still alive. Let's say he was very wealthy, he became a billionaire, he died young, and who's going to inherit him? So there's an argument now between the grandfather and, and the Yavim, the surviving son. Or Sava, the Safik, Menich Yavim. 
Or let's say the surviving brother dies, and then the grandfather and the uncertain one have, have an argument. What's the argument? The uncertain one died without children. Children always inherit first. But let's say he died without children. So then you go back to the father. If the father doesn't, is no longer surviving, then you go to the brothers, the uncles, the brothers. They're the brothers. So here we have an argument. The grandfather claims that the uncertain one is the son of the deceased brother. And therefore, who's the only heir? The grandfather. There's no brothers. There's no sons. The uncertain one died childless. He's the only son of the, of the first brother that died, of his first son. So therefore, the grandfather inherits everything. The Avam says, what are you talking It's my son. I, I'm the father. I inherit. Not the grandfather. If there's, if there's no brother, if there's no children. And there's no father. The father is dead, and, this, and the brother is dead. Then you go back to the grandfather. But here, I'm alive, so I take everything. But it says he claims. Or let's say this, uh, the uncertain one is the only child, is the only child of the of the um, of the surviving brother. So he claims I'm his son. I get everything. I get a hundred percent of the estate. The grandfather says, no, you're the son of the one, who, my son, my first son who died. The first brother who died. You're a nephew of my other son. You have no relation to him. You're not an heir. Since he had no children and there are no brothers, I am the heir and I get 100%. So what do we do in this case? Since here no one has any claim, so therefore it's in doubt. And therefore, if we divide it, She's waiting for Yibam. She's bound. She's not allowed to marry anyone outside till she takes care of the surviving brothers. Either they marry her or they give her a kalitza. She inherited property from her father. Her father dies. There are no sons. And she inherits property. Yeah, in their interim. Or if someone gives a property as a gift. So, everyone agrees, there's no argument. She can sell it, or give it away. And the transfer stands. No one inherits her. She's, she can do whatever she wants with the property. She's not... She's not married to anyone. Once she's married, she doesn't have a right. Because the husband has rights over the property. For the, to, for the, the, the benefit from it. But she's, yeah, she's just connected to them. She's bound to them, but she's independent. So therefore, whatever she does stands. But Mesa, if she dies while she's waiting, what is done with the Ksuba? The Ksuba that she got from her husband, the deceased husband. She got a ksuba. The husband made an obligation to pay her, to take care of her, even after his death. So she gets a piece of his estate. So she got that ksuba. So what do we do with that ksuba? Who inherits that ksuba? And what do we do with the properties that enter and leave with her? That she still has. So 
do we consider the Yiwi Avam as a husband, as a proper husband? And a husband inherits his wife. So a husband, is, he, is, is the Yavam also considered like a husband and therefore he would inherit her? Or, well, he's not like a husband. So who inherits her? Her paternal family. If she has no children, her paternal family. The husband's ears claim that they're, they are her ears. The father's ears claim, no, they are her ears. So he says, the two types of property, the nichzei tzem barzel, the, the ksuva, it's called the nadn, and the nichzei milug, the, 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 the property that she brought into the marriage, which he took full responsibility to pay her, whatever was evaluated at the time, if it reduced to zero, he's responsible to pay, so therefore it becomes his, and if it goes up, it's his, 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 his gain. He just has to return to her the value of what it was worth when he took it, when he took it, when he married her, versus the the properties that go in and out. It's referring to what called nichsem milug. It's properties that she retains the ownership, and he's just benefiting and enjoying the fruits, the rent for the fruits. He says. So he says. So Bishamay says we split it down the middle, since it's in doubt. We don't know if he's considered the husband, not considered the husband. We're not sure. She's like in limbo, somewhere in between. So here we split it down the middle. Fifty percent. We cut everything 50 percent goes to. Um, the ears of the of the of the husband of the husband it goes to his ears um, to the to the surviving brother and the other fifty and his ears go to the ears her ears her, from her father's family and Bishami says no Bishami says I mean, that's Bishami's opinion fifty fifty Mishila says no the property the nichtsitzim basel dixuva that he's in possession of the husband is in possession of so his his inheritors get it. Inherit that versus the possession that she's in. She's the nixim milug. She is in possession. Therefore, her, her, uh, um, her inherit. They inherited her. Uh, her family inherits. Her yeah, from her father's family. What if concept? But the moment he takes her in, he marries her. The oven takes her in. Then she becomes his full fledged wife, and he inherits her. Except the ksuva obligation. It's the estate of the first husband that has to pay the ksuva obligation. He's just taking over. He doesn't assume a ksuva obligation. He's just he's just assuming the first husband's ksuva obligation. He's stepping in the shoes. So therefore, it's a husband, the first husband's estate that has to pay for ksuva. If the husband, if a second husband dies, or the surviving brother dies, or he divorces her, the ksuva gets paid not from his estate, gets paid from. The first husband's, her first husband's estate. So that's the only difference that she's not like a wife. A wife, a full fledged wife, you're responsible, totally responsible. You have to pay the ksuba from your estate there. And, and, and you inherit her. You have responsibilities for her, but you also have privileges. You get to inherit her. Here, you get to inherit her, but you don't have the responsibility of Iksuva. The Iksuva comes from the estate of the, of the first person. according brothers. to Hillel? Yeah. That the Iksuva comes from the estate that's according to everyone. Why, in the first case, no one argues. Mishami Misil don't argue. The property that she gets while she's waiting, that, according to everyone, you divide 50-50. Why in the properties... That she had from before, 
do they argue? See, but the answers are Maula. Maula said that Eish is not because she had Rusa, but safe enough she didn't so yeah. First part of the mission we're talking about that she fell for the Yibum when she was in that Rusa. Safe enough because she didn't so. Okay, so the first opening of the Mishnah says that everyone agrees, even though there's an argument, whether or not Rusa could sell property that she inherits. But everyone agrees, even Basil agrees, that in the, this case, Yavama could do whatever she wants with the property that she inherits. She can sell it. And it stands. It's legal. It's valid. Basil's opinion is consistent. It makes sense. He claims, he says she can do whatever she wants with the property, meaning that even though she's bound to the surviving brother, but she's right now, she's not really married to him, and therefore she can sell it, even though a regular Arusa can sell it, but in this case she can sell it, because she's, she's basically independent at this point, while she's waiting in limbo. And therefore he says also that if she dies, who gets to inherit this property? Her family. The Yavam, the surviving brother's family, has nothing to do with that property. It makes sense. But according to Shammai, it doesn't make sense. It's inconsistent. What's the reason? Shammai says that she has the right to sell it. She's in full possession of the property. So if she's in full possession of the property, why does he say that you should divide it 50-50 uh, to the family of the surviving brother? What connection? It's her family. It's her property. Do whatever she wants with it. They have no connection to the property. So, so Ula said that the first time the Mishnah we're talking about, when she fell in Yibon, she was still in Narusa. The, the brother that died, the brother that died childless, because it was only the Arusa stage of the marriage, the first stage of the marriage. They weren't living together yet. So therefore, therefore she can do whatever she wants with her property. In that case, even like a regular Arusa, Bishame says you can sell the property then, then you're right, then only her family would inherit it. If she died at that stage, only her family would inherit from that property. Because she, it's hers. It's hers to do whatever, it's her possession. No connection to the surviving brother. But the second part of the mission we're talking about, she was already married to the first brother. So when she was married to the first brother, the one who died, she was fully married to him. And therefore, all of her property became in his, his possession. He gets to eat from the fruit, he gets the benefit. So therefore, when she dies, and she's waiting, she's in limbo, when he dies, still, still in all, when she dies, that property is divided equally, 50-50, because the family still has, the brother still and his family have a connection to that property. Why? Because since once you marry... Then even the property that still belongs to her, the husband has full control over the the profit and the, the why, yield. Why the, 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 the guy that ends up passing away, right. why does his family get any piece of the action? No, because she's bound to his brother. She right. still stay, She still has to stay with the family. She still has to continue the same marriage. Right. She's carrying on. The, the brother has to carry on the marriage. She's bound. When she married him, she also she married. She marries the family. She's stuck with the family. Right. You have to carry on his legacy. You, right. have to, you have to give him a child. So therefore, since you're still stuck in the family, you still have to carry on the legacy. So therefore, that, that property, if she dies, the property should be divided equally amongst her ears and the ears of her... Of her so even though uh, her connection to that family is only through Zika, they yeah. still have that yeah. monetary connection. Exactly. Well, 
<laughs> in the case of a regular Nesua, she couldn't sell the property. She couldn't do anything with the property. The husband would take it back from the buyer. But here, it's like one degree lower. She's, she's just bound. She's just, yeah, she married the family. She's bound. She's connected. She has to carry on the legacy. She has to give an ear, produce an ear. But, but it's not fully married yet. He didn't take her in yet. So therefore, we don't say that 100% of it goes, if she was married, 100% of it would stay with the husband's family. We, but we say... Um, so you say that you do 50-50. So Bishamli said you do 50-50. Attachment of Arusa the other makes like a possible Arusa. It's one le- one step down. It's one degree less. Arusa is, is, is definitely betrothal. Here she's a bound. So bound is considered like like a possible Arusa. So it's like somewhere in between a non-Arusa and Arusa. So one step less. And if in the case of Arusa, we say it's totally hers. And all of her property only goes to her family. Nothing to the, uh, to the surviving brother's family. In the case, in the first part of the mission, in the case of Arusa. Zikas Nesuyin, we continue on side B, 38B. Zikas Nesuyin, is a Suffolk Nesuyin. Being bound after she was married to the deceased brother. Fully married. So now she's bound to the surviving brother. So that's also one degree less, like Suffolk Nesu. So therefore, so therefore it's one degree less. Therefore we don't say 100% of the property goes to the surviving brother's family. Shami says 50-50. 50% to her, to her ears and 50% to his ears. Zika's Arusa is a Suffolk Arusa. Ula holds that an attachment of an arusa makes it like a possible arusa. These if you're going to say like a certain arusa, then how do you say moidim b'shab beisilul shemichedes and sendes v'kayim? How can beisilul say that beisilul agrees that she has a right to go and sell it when beisilul argues by a regular arusa? But none we learned in suvas, nothing we learned in mission in suvas, nothing in the chasim arusa. That if she inherited property after she becomes an Arus, she's betrothed. She can sell them. says he can sell them. If when she went ahead and sold it, everyone agrees it's done. But initially, Bishamah says she can sell it. Bishamah says he can sell it. But over here, Bishamah says you could even initially sell it. Why? If you consider a bound, being bound, a Zika. Like a, an Arusa... So why, how could you, how could Basil Hill say? So you have to say it's less, it's a little less. It's one, de, thank you, it's a little less, it's one degree less. And Ulo says that Zika is being bound if she was already married to the deceased brother. It's like one, it's like an uncertain Nesua. If you can say it's like 100% married, why Bisham Yemiyechleku, Yersha Balm Yershaav? Then why does Bishamay say that you divide 50-50 between uh, his ears, the ears of the surviving brother and her ears? But Nan, we learned, in a different Mishnah, we learned 
Also in Ksuvis. Nafilot Nechasim Mishin Nisus. In that mission that we just quoted, Nafilot Nechasim, if she inherits property after she's fully married, that the husband could take back the sale. The sale is not valid. He has no right to sell it because the husband is enjoying the, the, the benefits and the fruits. And therefore, he can go and take it back from the, from the buyer. So how, how do we say over here, so in this case, the ears of the surviving brother should take everything. Why are they splitting it 50-50 amongst her ears? It's like one step down, it's like answer. According to you, why do they have to argue regarding distributing the, the property after her death? should argue regarding while she's alive. Who gets the produce? According to Beis Hillel, she gets the produce. Mm-hmm. According to Beis Shammai, she should split the produce 50-50. 50% she should eat and 50% the, the, the brother, the surviving brother is waiting to marry her. He should, he should get. Rather, Rabbi says, the Mishnah, the first section of the Mishnah, the second section of the Mishnah, both talking about she was already fully married to the deceased brother. Died childless. And if you're being bound, is the equivalent of an uncertainly bound, one degree less. But today, she's still alive. While she's still alive, I believe if she's still alive, so why don't you say, it's a, since it's a doubt, it's like a suffix, an uncertainness, she definitely owns her property. The surviving brother—it's uncertain. So whenever you have a doubt and you have a certainty, she gets full control over it, and she gets all the fruits. She is for certain connected to these properties. The surviving brother—it's in doubt. It's like uncertain. But the safer, the end of the mission is talking about the miz. He died. She died. So when it comes, she died. A low bond then have an equal claim. Her ears. And his ears have an equal claim. And therefore you divide it 50-50. That's what Bishami says, you divide it 50-50. Eight via challenges Rabbi's interpretation. Is it true that according to Bishamai, he holds that the doubt does not override the, the, the certainty? But now we learn in the Mishnah, we learn in Baba Basra, if a house collapsed on a person and on his father and they both died, and him and those from whom he inherits, and, and now you have the wife, the surviving wife, and his creditors come to claim, lay a claim on his estate. So here we get into an argument. The inheritors argue. His inheritors argue. The father's inheritors. Meaning the surviving brothers, the other brothers. They say the son died first. 
So the son didn't inherit anything from the father. Because he died first. When our father died, he was already dead. So we, we inherit everything. So there's nothing to, to, for you to, to, there's nothing for you to claim from. He wants to claim because he had nothing. The, 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 son, the, the son who died had nothing. But they say, oh, he, went, he got an inheritance. He came into a huge inheritance. If the father died first, even for a minute, the moment the father dies, this son inherits. The father was a billionaire. He just inherited the, the, uh, $330 million. Then he died a minute later. So now there's another two surviving sons, but each one got a third. So now there's money to collect. So the creditor says, I want the money. And the wife says, give me the silver. You have to pay me the silver from this is his estate, from the estate of, the, of the, his father's father, which he inherited. But they say, no, the son died first. So he got zilt. He left this world a pauper. <laughs> and then the father died. So we inherit everything. You have nothing. You have no claim. We don't know you. The creditor argues, no. The father died first, and afterwards the son died. So Bishami says, you divide it 50 50. Since it's impossible to clarify what happened, no one knows what happened. Therefore, we divide it 50 50. In other words, half of his claim. He only gets half of his claim on the estate. Says, no, the properties remain in their possession, whoever possessed them. In other words, the father's ears. Now, in our mission, in this case, the father's ears are definite ones. The creditors are uncertain. And nevertheless, Bishamay says... That the suffix, because the suffix, that the creditor is uncertain, removes the money that's in question from the hands of the ears who are the definite ones. So, how do you, Rabbi, say in our Mishnah, according to Bishamai, suffix does not take out from Vadai, that when she's alive, she gets 100% of the fruits of the yield of the produce of the rent. Because she's a certainty while he's a doubt and we don't, a certain, uh, uncertainty does not, it's not strong enough to take money out of the certainty. Yeah. We see, we see Bishami doesn't hold that. Bishami holds that we, uh, even an uncertainty is enough to take out from a certainty. Yeah. So the answers, Kasabi Bishami, Bishami holds, a document, a debt. That's in the document, it's as if it was already collected. So therefore, he's already holding on to the property. <laughs> so he's like in possession of, it's as if he's in possession of the property himself. So therefore, it's uncertain versus uncertain. Not uncertain against certain. He also, he's also in possession of the property. Because if the father died first, then he, he's already in possession of the property. So therefore, they're both equal. That's why Yachleiku. What do you say? On what basis do you say that the documents? It's as if you're already in possession. Now we learn the Mishnah and Saita. Meisu balei naturally shasu. What if the husbands died before they drank the bitter waters? They were suspected of adultery, and before they had a chance to clarify this. That is, 
the husband's died and he can't drink the water you can, until, unless the husband is alive. So now they can no longer clarify whether they committed adultery or not. If they committed adultery, they get zero from the ksuba. They get nothing. But if they're innocent, they should get the whole ksuba. So what do we do in this case when they cannot clarify the, their, their innocence? Shami says, they can drink, but they, take, they collect the ksuba from the state, the husband's estate. Since he can drink, because it's no longer an option to drink the bitter waters, because the husband is no longer alive, so too they can, they can no longer collect their ksuva. This is the okay of mine, you see? Right. So the Gemara says, well, what do you mean? It's not an option. It says, Only a husband could bring a wife, and only then could she drink. The husband died, so that's no longer an option. So Ella, the Gemara says, the Mishnah means to say is, since she can't drink, she can no longer drink the bitter water, so therefore she doesn't get exuvah. So therefore, what do we see from there? It's in doubt. We don't know. Maybe she's an adulteress. Maybe she's not. And nevertheless, we take from the estate. So we see that even a doubt, even uncertainty is strong enough to take away from the estate, which is definitely belongs to the years. The only explanation is because Bishame holds that the ksuva, the document, the debt that he gave to his wife, it's as if it's already collected. So she's in possession. So therefore you can't take it away from her. Prove that I committed adultery. She tells the years, prove that I committed adultery and then you don't have to pay me. Until you can prove that I committed adultery, I'm in possession because I have this document. It's already committed to me. So why must you say that? Why don't you say proof from this Mishnah that Beishamei holds that an uncertainty overcomes, uncertainty is strong enough to take money even, even from a certainty. You can't say that because Beishamei in that case says you divide it, you split it down the middle. Beishamei doesn't say here that she gets 50%. Beishamei says she gets everything. So the only explanation is because of the document that's written, it's as if she's already collected it. As if she's already in possession, her possession. She's holding it. Like the mother of Abaya, Abaya should have challenged Rabba from this Mishnah. This Mishnah says that a suffix removes, takes away from a definite one. Didn't accept the concept that a, a document that's written is as if it's already in your possession. So from Saita we can see that even in the doubt she could be an adulteress. Never even in doubt it's strong enough to remove money from the estate, from a certain estate, from the years. Why didn't he challenge Rabbah from this Mishnah? The order of Nashim. In the same order as our order. Why did he have to go to Baba Basra? A different, a different, uh, a different order altogether. Taisa's ass doesn't understand the Gemara's question. Beishamai should be complete. What was Abaya thinking? The Gemara should have asked, what was Abaya thinking? Abaya didn't accept the concept. He didn't accept the concept that a document that's written, the Rabbah's idea that a document that's written is as if already you're in possession of. So how, how else would you explain it? So then, according to Abaya, the only way to explain it, Shammai's opinion by the site is because he holds that even uh, uncertainty is strong enough to remove the money from, from, from the certain ears. But then how would Abaya explain? Why does Bishami says that she gets the entire exuber? She only gets 50-50, like an hour Mishnah. She only gets 
So how would Abayah explain this? Abayah says Abayah would explain that in this case, in a way, she's more certain and they're uncertain. She's certain. As he says, he argues, I did not commit adultery. I was there. I'm telling you, I didn't, nothing happened. We were secluded. Maybe we kissed, but nothing happened. There was no adultery. Versus the, uh, the ears, they don't know. They can't say for certain that she did commit adultery. She says, tell me that I can, prove to me that I committed adultery and then you don't have to pay me. Because if she commits adultery, she loses the ksuva. But she can't, they can't prove it. She's arguing with certainties. That's why in this case, Bishamah is actually getting to the reason why Bishamah didn't, uh, Abayah didn't question Rabbi from that Mishnah. Because wow. from Saita, Dilma Ksuva is shiny. Maybe the Ksuva is the exception. Because they made a special measure. Usually in the case we would say that a Suffolk was not removed from a Vada. In this case they made an exception because we want her to be attractive to marry for marriage. If she's a pauper, no one's going to want to marry her. Now that she has some money, she inherited some money from the estate, now people are going to jump on her to marry her. So therefore we do everything in our power that she should be able to collect the ksuva. In other words, you want to induce the woman to marry. You want to, so she wants to know if she's safe, she'll be taken care of. So therefore, since the whole ksuva is we want, we want her to be taken care of, and we want to induce her to marry, so therefore we, we, we layer it on, we give her extra rights, even though really she should not collect anything. Uh-huh. Therefore, you can't prove from this. It's not a ref- refutation of Rabbah. And also she should be able to find a new wife, a new husband. Special ruling, so it's, it's, it's not a... Rabbi says no, Rabbi says no. That's not the reason. It's not because of a special special uh, enactment or a special leniency. An enactment for her, a special measure for her sake. No. This, that certainly proves that the document, the document is considered as if it's already in her possession. A buyer should have challenged Rabbah from Bishami's ruling regarding the Ksuvah of our mission. The end of the mission, the last case in the mission. A buyer says that in the Sur, who's waiting for the Yibum and she dies, so the father's ears, who have an uncertain claim, divide the Ksuvah. So we see clearly that an uncertain overcomes a certainty. Her ears are certain. So why didn't Abaya challenge Rabbah from the ruling of Bishamay? From the second part, Rabbah explains the first part of the mission. That, that um, since she is definitely belongs, to, it's in her possession. Mm-hmm. And the Yavam, mm-hmm. and the Yavam is in doubt, because she's like the status of an of a uncertain Nesua. So uncertain doesn't overcome a certain. So how, do you, how does Rabbah explain the second part of the mission? Why in the second part of the mission she was married, but still she's a Suffolk Nesua. So since she's a Suffolk, why does the Suffolk overcome the Vade? Yeah. So with the Masnissin, you might answer lay You're right. And Bishami says the Vade... You're not talking about the Ksuva properties. 
the Ksuba properties for sure belong, the property, the, the Nadan and the Nechzitzim Barzel, that surely belongs to the ears of uh, her ears. Shammai only argues, and he says 50-50, he's talking about the Nechzim Melug, the properties. The Melug properties. It's the opposite. The Nixitim Barzal, the Ksuva, the Nadan, that surely belongs 100% to the husband's ears. Even though she has the document, and Bishami says a document is considered as if it's already collected, that's only after the husband dies, not when he's alive. Mm-hmm. But therefore, since the surviving brothers in this is taking place, uh, taking, he's stepping in for the deceased brothers, so therefore the Ksuva is not available yet. So belongs these properties belong 100 percent to the to the uh, ears of the surviving brother, to his ears. Right. His only argument he says 50-50 is talking about the nichsim milug. The nichsim milug, the property that she owns. Therefore, since it's considered like in doubt. Like an uncertain, uncertain Nisuyan. And therefore, in the case of the Ksuba, the part that the husband is in possession of, who's in possession of? The husband, the husband's family. The deceased husband, now a brother and a family. So therefore, the ears, the ears should, um, should inherit it. The ear should inherit. Why does Bishamah say Yachlaikus? The mother says, you're right. He doesn't argue on that. He agrees that, that they, they get 100%, the, the ears of the husband, they get it They inherited 100%. When he said he divided, he's talking about the property that she brings in, that she retains control over. And then the fruits and, and so th- that those properties you divide 50-50. She, she says Oi! He does, Bishamay doesn't argue in the case of the Ksuva Vaktani the Mishnah says Mesa Mayasa Bhiksuva so Uban Khasam Clearly the Mishnah says they are arguing even about the Ksuva, about the Nat and the Nikhsitim Barzal. Even that Bishami says he splits fifty fifty. But the answer is Akikam, this is what the Mishnah says. Mesa, if she dies, Mayasa Bhiksuvasa. What is done with the Ksuva? Vishavka. And he leaves that question aside. And that the, the property that she retains, hold over, so Bishami says that you should split down the middle, 50% to her ears, 50% to the husband's ears. Know that her ears get 100% of those. You can also deduct it from the Mishnah. In the language of the Mishnah, it doesn't say He starts out that who you divided, the inheritors of the husband together with the inheritors of of the of the of the father, her inheritors. 
Right. So we're talking about, from here we see, we're talking about the Nixim Milug. Because the Nixim Milug, A, that they divide it together. A divides it together with B. B is the primary. So what's the primary? The primary is the inheritors, her inheritors. Because we're talking about... We're talking about the Nixi Miluga. Really, it's her property. It's, she retained possession of it. So it's her family that retains possession of it. But nevertheless, we also give, since the fruits and the, the yield goes to the husband, and so therefore we divide it, we give them 50%. But if you were talking about the Nixi the Nixi Barzal, the part that, that the husband retained full responsibility of, and so his possession, his family's possession, it should have said that her inheritors split 50 with the inheritors of, of the husband's family. So Shmami not to prove. Now we learn two resolutions. Now the Rabbi is going to give a third resolution. We'll leave this for tomorrow. Everyone have a wonderful day. Remember to check the Chametz tonight and search the inner Chametz as well. <laughs>